welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Um, over these last few weeks on the, in the evening, we've been spending time just delving into the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the person of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. For the last two weeks, we've been doing pictures of the Spirit, and I want to do that again this evening. Um, when you're looking at the symbols of the Holy Spirit, there's not one symbol really that is big enough uh, comprehensive enough to tell you everything that you want to know about this delightful person. I think that's why there is so much actually in the scripture about him. There's something like 37 titles attributed to the Holy Spirit, each one of them instructive in terms of part of his personality and ministry. There are 13 different prepositions associated with his ministry. Each one of us give us clues as to how he relates to us. And depending on what scholars you read, there are between 24 and 26 symbols that the scripture uses to describe his person and ministry. The one that I want to look at this evening is, is the dew, all right, the dew of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do very briefly is look at some things that the Bible says about the dew and show you how they paint an incredibly beautiful picture of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go through a number of points, just as we've done over the last few weeks, uh, and, and um, talk to you about how the dew shows us something about the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So firstly, I want to show you that the Scripture talks about the dew as being a divine gift. The dew is divinely given. So Isaac prophesied God's blessing over his son. That's what the patriarchs would do in those days as they were nearing the end of their lives. They would get their children and lay hands on them and prophesy. And as Isaac is prophesying over Jacob, among the things that he said was that God would divinely bestow on him the dew. Genesis 27 verse 28 says, And may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So the dew of heaven. I, I think firstly what we see here is that you can't manufacture or manipulate dew. It comes as a divine gift. And in the very same way, the Holy Spirit is a free grace gift that is given from heaven. We throw around the word charismatic and we talk about charismatic gifts or charismatic churches or we may even talk about charismatic people. The, the word charismatic comes from a root word charis, which means grace. And charisma is an extension of grace. The Holy Spirit is divinely given to us by the grace of our Father. You know, somebody has said there are 31,000 promises in God's Word. I've never taken the time to count them, but I'll believe them. But there's only one that's called the promise of the Father. And that's found in Luke 24, verse 49, where Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But you stay or tarry or sit in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And this promise of the Father is the gift of this person, the Holy Spirit. So as the Jew is divinely given, so we see the Holy Spirit as the spirit of promise, the Father's promise. You, you can't do anything to work up Jew. All you can do is receive it. And the scripture calls it one of the precious things of heaven. 
Deuteronomy 33 verse 13 says, and, jo- and of Joseph, again, patriarch, father, prophesying over son of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord be his land with the precious things of the heavens for the Jew and for the deep that crouches beneath. So the Jew is seen as something incredibly precious coming from heaven. In Proverbs chapter 19, it links Jew with the favor of a king. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So the incredible grace of our Father toward us is what releases the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit in us. So having emphasized that the Jew and the Holy Spirit that it pictures are a free grace gift to us, we do have to make an important distinction between earning God's grace gifts, which we cannot do, and meeting the conditions which are obligatory. So so let me try and illustrate. Salvation is a result of absolute grace. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. However, having said that, you have to meet God's conditions if you are to appropriate that grace gift. Repentance and faith open the door to salvation. Now, both repentance and faith are gifts that God will willingly bestow on us. He works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But you have to meet the conditions. You have to hold your hands out and receive the gift that's offered to you. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was a gift of free grace upon this newly formed Christian community. But there was a condition. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You imagine if there were a few people among the disciples who said, we can't wait. We have news that is too important to to sit around on our hands. We need to go out and start telling the good news. And they left Jerusalem. The reality is that grace gift would have bypassed them. They had to meet the condition. And the condition was, you stay there and you wait. And when the Holy Spirit comes, then I will release you to be my witnesses in all the earth. So the Jew is a gift from heaven, but there are laws associated with its coming, both in the natural and in the spiritual. It isn't just random or capricious. Just as clouds are a necessary prerequisite for the arrival of rain, so sunshine and warmth are a necessary prerequisite for the formation of dew. Dew follows a day when the sun has warmed up the earth and then the heat radiates back into the surrounding atmosphere by night when the surface of the earth cools down more rapidly than the air about it. And when the air is saturated with moisture, by the contrast of temperatures, it becomes unable to contain that moisture and yields it as dew. So there's, it's not capricious. It's not just, oh, who, who would know when it will come? We basically do know when it will come because there are laws associated with its formation. Dew is the result of the warmth of the day. And the scripture talks about that in Isaiah chapter 18, verse four. It says, like the clear heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. There has to be the warmth. There has to be the heat during the day. Well, you say, well, so what, Don? What does that mean to us? Well, I suspect that the Holy Spirit's dew comes upon hearts that are warmed after God. 
Do you remember last week I talked about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and it says our hearts burned within us as we heard these scriptures unfolded. And we talked about the zeal of God that comes with fire. When hearts are warmed toward God, that desire toward God, that fervency toward Him, I I believe it creates conditions whereby the Jew comes readily. I, I suspect that many people have no experience of the Jew of the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives because they actually have no warmth or desire for him or toward him. Watchman Nee once said, the outgoings of longing and desire form the basis of all fuller and future experiences. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, I want to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us, the church, to our present estate. The stiff wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of a lack of holy desire. Complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. You know, the Bible talks about hunger and thirsting after righteousness. And when that hunger and thirst is present, there's fullness that follows. When there's a desire after God, seeking after God, he said, you seek, you knock, I'll open, I'll reveal myself. So firstly, the Jew is divinely given. Secondly, it comes according to natural law. Thirdly, The Bible talks about Jew being saturating in its effect. In Palestine, in the Middle East, Jew can be very, very heavy, almost like rain in its effect. There's a really well-known story in the book of Judges and it talks about Gideon's fleece. You know, he wasn't quite sure about the will of God, so he put out the famous fleece. And the story goes like this in Judges chapter six. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the grain for. And if the Jew is on the fleece only and dry upon all the ground, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morning and gathered the fleece together and wrung the Jew out of the fleece, a full bowl of water. That's, that's a heavy Jew a full bowl of water from the fleece, gives us an indication of how saturating the Jew in that season was. I find it really interesting that in this passage, the word he wrung the dew out is the same word that's used in Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter one, verse 15, where it's talking about a sacrifice that the priest makes and he wrings the neck of a bird that's brought for sacrifice. It's the same Hebrew word. It means to thrust together, to press or to squeeze. It's it's the same word found in Ezekiel chapter 23 verse 34 to indicate the draining of a cup where it says, you shall even drink it and suck it out or wring it out. Both those two words, the, the squeezing together, the drinking out of a cup, you know, remind me of the fact that we have to be mindful that the Jew is available to us because of a pressing, because of something being wrung out, a sacrifice. Gethsemane literally means the wine press, something that is wrung out. And it was here that Joseph, Jesus chose to drink the cup, drain the cup of the Father's wrath that had been placed before him so that you and I could stand in a relationship with the Father and call him friend and call him Father. The dew is the result 
of a life wrung out in sacrifice. That's why the Holy Spirit is available to you and I. And the purpose of the Jew coming, the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is to saturate every dimension of our lives, not just a little sprinkling over certain portions of our life. He wants to saturate every part of your life. He comes to bring wholeness to you, shalom, in every dimension of your life, in your relationships, in your finances, in your sexuality, in your political persuasions, in every part of your life, he's interested. And he wants to, he wants to soak them. God intends then that we having been blessed, we can be thrust out into parched, thirsty lands. And that we can then, following the master, be wrung out in service for the sake and blessing of others. Micah chapter five, verse seven says, the people of Israel who survive will be like the refreshing dew sent by the Lord for many nations. Like showers on growing plants, they will depend on God, not on people. You know, this is not just about making your life a little more comfortable. When we sign up, we sign up for life and we sign up for service. And we say, your kingdom come. And Lord, allow me to be an instrument of your kingdom wherever you send me. And I am prepared, whether it's here in New Zealand, whether it's in Hamilton, whether it's overseas, whether it's in the Philippines or, the, or in Syria, I come willing to be wrung out in service of the king whose life was wrung out for me. Fourthly, dew is refreshing in its effect. It saturates and it refreshes. Job says this in Job 29 verses 19 and 20, my root was open to the waters and the dew lay all night on my branch. My glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hands. This, this idea is that he was totally refreshed and he likens this refreshing to the dew that, that covered the vineyard. The word fresh here, by the way, comes from a root word that means to mend or to repair a house. It's the same word used in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 where it says Josiah was minded to renew the house of the Lord. It's the same word used in Psalm 103 verse 5 where it says the, the Lord renews our youth like an eagle. So the Holy Spirit when He comes, He comes to minister, refreshing, renewal, the reconstruction of our lives. You know, all of us know at times in our journey when having been perhaps wrung out for a season, we are dry, we're spent, we're weary, we feel like we've got nothing to give. He comes to refresh. He comes to saturate and fill, to repair, to renew. You know, if you're not careful during those seasons, you can, you can lapse into a relationship. And this is always the incredible challenge of people who have followed the Lord for a long time. You can lapse into a relationship that is more dutiful than it is passionate. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think I talked to you last week about Daniel, where you know they burst in on Daniel praying. And, and, and in the Hebrew, it says he was praying the idea is incredibly fervently, he was on the boil. This wasn't just the dutiful prayer of some character. He was praying with a phenomenal passion. And we're talking about Daniel probably as an octogenarian. This is not Daniel as a 30-year-old or, or even a 40-year-old. This is probably Daniel as an 80-year-old. And he has somehow managed in the purposes of God to maintain this passion that even as an 80-year-old, he's on his knees and he's praying on the boil. 
I find that unbelievably challenging. And, and you know, something that I would love to have true of my own life. But like you, I go through seasons where sometimes, you know, reading the Bible is like eating dry wheat bix and trying to whistle. It's, you know, it's, it's just tough, tough, tough. That, that's true of all of us. That's where you start crying out and saying, God, I don't want to dry out. I don't want to be like one of the Psalms says, a wineskin in the smoke. You know, where, where because it's in the, in the kitchen and the smoke rises, the leather gets hard and bristle and, and just dried up. I want to be tender. You cry out to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, could you come and refresh me, saturate me, make my life a life of passion. I don't want to lose that first love relationship. I don't want to become a dutiful servant. I want to be a passionate, loving member of, our, of the family. You know, it's so easy to become like uh, uh, King Amaziah, who's mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2, and it says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And I love the way the Living Bible translates it. It says, he did that which was right, but he sometimes resented it. And so often I see that. People attending church, people tithing, people reading the Bible, praying, but deep down, there's almost a resentment, a guilt that I have, I have to do this, but not a passion, not a warmth toward God, not a desire. The lashings of duty rather than the longings of love that drive us. And I don't believe that God wants that. I don't believe he'll have that ultimately. You know, Psalm 110 is a wonderful psalm, a prophetic psalm, I think. And it says, your people give themselves gladly in the day of your power. Like the dew of the morning on the holy mountains is the army of your young men. This is talking about a people that God will have. And it says that they will be like the dew of the morning. They will give themselves willingly, gladly, passionately to the purposes of God in their age. And I want to ask you, are you that kind of person? Or are you one who, you know, you kind of come to church and yeah, I can, I, can, I can cope with it, I can handle it, you know. Sometimes I find it inspiring. Mostly I go because of my friends. I want to tell you, it's, God, God's got more for you than that. And if you look to him, he will give you more than that. He doesn't just simply want you dutifully wandering along. He wants you passionate. He wants you burning up inside for the purposes of God. Fifthly, dew was necessary for the arrival of the manna. Now I'm, I'm reaching back into the Old Testament story. You probably know it well enough, but remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt as slaves, they got out into the wilderness. There was nothing to eat. They began to complain bitterly and God said to them, I'll, I'll send you food. And incredibly, miraculously, every day bar the Sabbath, there was, there was manna for them. Now, Numbers chapter 11, verse 9, describing this situation says, When the dew came down on the tents at night, the manna came down with it. So that's, you could easily pass that by, except when you come into the New Testament, there's some incredibly interesting typology that, that's worth looking at and exploring. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus declared himself to be the true bread, the true manna that, that came down from heaven, that the Old Testament manna was just a dim picture of. 
He was saying, you got bread in the wilderness, but your father has sent you the true bread here. Now the manna didn't fall on bare ground in the Old Testament. It fell on a carpet of dew. It was said there was, it was necessary for the dew first to come and then the manna sat on the dew. Without the dew, there wouldn't be manna. And I want to tell you, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's no revelation of the true bread, Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we see as we can't without him. You know, the absorbing passion of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus, to magnify him, to minister him, to mediate him to people. His passion is to open your eyes. He comes, as it were, to saturate us and to open our heart and eyes to the beauty of the person of Jesus. He's the one who unveils Jesus to us. By the way, the manna also speaks to us of the Word of God, the written Word of God. It tells us in the Old Testament that manna was like honey. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 31, it tasted like honey. When David's writing his Psalms, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste, more than honey to my mouth. So the manna is not just the logos, the, the, the person, it's also the written word of God. And I want to tell you, we need the Jew of God to open up the word of God for us. The, the manna lands on the Jew. It doesn't land on bare earth. You know, Paul says in, two Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural earthy man, the, the earth without the Jew, cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to him. But when you give place to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when you come to the Word of God, not just dutifully, but oh yeah, I suppose I should read a chapter before I go to bed or a psalm before I go to bed. But as you come, perhaps on your knees and say, Holy Spirit, would you open this to me? Without you, I'm bare earth. I don't understand, but would you begin to open this to me? And as you make that your prayer and make that your passion and make that your pursuit, you will find he does. And suddenly you are seeing things that before you did not see. So often, you know, we are in such a hurry that we don't take time to just sit and let the dew settle and the revelation take place. It takes time and stillness of soul. Dew only falls on still nights. It doesn't light upon the ground in the presence of wind. It comes in quiet stillness. You know, there's a passage in the Old Testament where a silent attack is being planned and it's described as dew coming on the ground. In 2 Samuel, it says in chapter 17, verse 12, so we'll come upon him in some place where he shall be found and we will light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Kind of an insidious, you know, a story here. But out of the story, the idea is that the Jew comes in stillness. Sometimes, I know, sometimes the, the Holy Spirit can come as a mighty rushing wind. We know that on the day of Pentecost. There are times when he comes just crashing into your life. You know, the, the, the night, that one of the most precious nights of my life was, the, was a night that was a culmination of months and months of incredibly intense seeking God. I'd heard about the Holy Spirit. I'd heard about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'd heard stories about speaking in tongues. And, and uh, my brother who was you know, in another city had told me about what was happening in a church that he was part of. And it set me on a, on a, 
on a journey seeking God. And for months and months, night after night, I would be on my knees. I was a student. I lived in a little small place by myself and I had the opportunity and I'd be on my knees night after night crying out to God. I didn't know what, this, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to grip my life. I just knew I needed my life gripped. And as I say, night after night, I would go to this little Pentecostal church that I found in the city where I was a student. And I, it was just, sometimes I'd go to their prayer meetings, there'd be 12 people, 15 people, and they would pray and they would be seeking God and just, it was just stirring this gift within me. I could hear them speaking in tongues and, and I didn't. And then one night they said, would, is there anybody here who would like to speak in tongues? And I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, among 15, I could do it. I put my hand up and so they gathered around me and they all leaned in on me. Man, I was, I was struggling for air. And they're all praying in tongues and I'm thinking, I don't know what's supposed to happen. And one of the guys said to me, have you got it, brother? Well, I didn't know what it was. And, I, and he wasn't my brother, you know. I, I mean, I, I didn't know up from down, but I knew what I wanted. And the months went by. I remember being in my room one night thinking, you know, it says in Psalm 81, open your mouth and I will fill it. So I figured I'd do that. So I won't do this side, I'll do it sideways. But I got down on my bed and went. <laughs> and I stayed there until I just about got locked jaw. You know, it was like, after, at the end of a long time, I, I'm kind of trying to close my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Glenn. The, the couple of nights later, I thought, you know, maybe, it, I, I, you know, I read, yield your members in Romans chapter six. So I thought, maybe I've got to yield my tongue to the Lord. So again, down on my bed and I went, ah, and I went on, ah, you know, got several breaths, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm still going, ah, I don't know what my neighbors thought. I have no idea what they were thinking. They must have thought there was a crazy man in that little, that little hut out there. But I, but I was passionate. And then, I mean, I was frustrated. At the end of it, I remember stopping and just saying, God, what do you want me to do? And then, and then one time, not long after that, there was a, a, an Irish evangelist. Some of you may have heard of him. His name was Harry Greenwood. And he came through our city. And he had some meetings in a, in a college hall and Karen and I went. And one night he said, I'm, the next, tomorrow night I'm gonna speak on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And man, I'm, I'm there, you know. How, how, does, how fast can 24 hours go? You know, I'm winding the fingers on the clock round to try and make it go faster. Next night I was there. And I tell you, something happened that night that totally, totally changed my life. It was, the, it was a culmination of, as I say, months and months of reading and seeking. But that night, God touched me, and it was explosive. I felt like I had been plugged into the national mains. And as I'm standing there, or sitting actually, speaking in tongues, the power of God was just pulsating through me. I know what it is to have a mighty rushing wind. But I also know what it is to be in quiet stillness and the dew just settle on you in a way that's almost imperceptible. And then suddenly you are engaged in a supernatural encounter that you did not see coming because it came so quietly like an attack, you know, like that thing. We will light upon him and he won't even know it. 
I remember being one time, I'd taken time, I was pastoring at this stage and I'd taken time to seek God. I'd taken a week off and I, and I went to this place and as I was driving to it, I really felt like the Lord said to me, don't wait until the last day for me to touch you. I guess my expectation was it would take me a few days to settle into the routine and I was really hopeful that at the end of the week that God would touch me. On that first morning as I was just in prayer, I wasn't even aware that this was happening but I started to feel my hands, this incredibly strange sensation of my hands being out of control. And it wasn't something I planned. It wasn't something I thought of. It absolutely took me by surprise. But what was to happen subsequent to that took me even more surprise. Because the power of God came on me so violently that I shook for I don't know how long it was, maybe an hour and a half. My, my watch, with the violence of it all, flew off. And at the end of it, I was exhausted. You say, well, what was it all about? You know what? I'm not even to this day sure, except that I know the Holy Spirit encountered me and filled me afresh. <laughs> Karen came to pick me up. I was fast asleep. Man, I was spent. She said, if you spend all day sleeping, you know, going off seeking God and you're fast asleep. It's like I got up. I had been impacted in such a way. And I said, well, you know, let me tell you a story, honey. <laughs> you know, when Peter had to explain Pentecost, he said, these guys aren't drunk as you think they are. They look drunk, and that night I got filled with Harry Greenman. I tell you, you would have swore that we'd just rumbled our way out of a rugby club at three, three o'clock in the morning or out of a hotel. I saw guys walk off high school stages, complete, you know, I mean, there's a drop of the, just walk off completely have a crash, bang, get up, you know, walk off, you know. They were drunk, absolutely drunk, impacted by the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you were accused of being drunk in the Holy Spirit? Not being drunk, but drunk in the Holy Spirit. How, how rarely has the church been accused of this? But truly, I, I've, we've had seasons of visitation and I long for them again where we have carried people out of this building because they couldn't walk. I think of one girl who in, in a season of visitation left church and drove across to get petrol. She went to get out and she fell onto the pavement of the of the. Um, you know, the forecourt of the, of the BP station. And the guy came over, you okay, you okay? You, you don't look like you, you should be driving. Where have you been? Church, she says. <laughs> Whoa, he goes, you know. And she explained to him, far out, he says. Okay, that's not a church that I've ever attended. <laughs> Next Sunday night, her car's low on gas. She goes to the same place, crashed onto the forecourt. He came over and said, been to church again. <laughs> How rarely that happens. Yeah, more, Lord. You know, we, we, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys, and I'm not saying this in any way uh, negatively or, or um, pejoratively, but, but you've been raised in church, you've never encountered the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You just, you come dutifully. You, you love the Lord. You want to serve him. But he wants more for you than that. 
He wants you to know him, to encounter him, to be filled by him. Some of you, with regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you just think, oh, well, if God wants to give them to me, he can. Listen, if you'd have said that about salvation, you'd still be out there. You, you, you can't say that. You've got to say, yes, Lord, yes, and put your hands out. And with the gifts of the Spirit, with speaking in tongues, with prophecy, with healing, you don't say, oh, well, if he wants to do it, he knows my address. You go, yes, Lord, please, Lord. You get on your knees, you seek God. I want to encourage you. A.W. Tozer said, you know, he longs for us to long for him. And I want to stir that up in you. This This series on the Holy Spirit isn't just designed to give you information. It's designed to motivate you. It's designed to make you think, I want that. I want that. I want to be able to meet him in that way. And I want to encourage that longing. I'm going to ask for the musicians if you would come. We're going to take just a couple of minutes just to set our hearts before God and worship and cry out for the Jew. Lord, please, me again, me again. You know, some of you say, well, you know, I've heard these stories, but it hasn't happened in my time. Well, that's what Habakkuk prayed. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I've heard of it. I've heard the stories. And, and I want it in my time. Would you renew your works in my day, in my time? That was his cry, that was his prayer. Friends, that should start to be the cry and prayer of some of you. I've heard about this, it's never happened to me. And not go away and go, oh, whatever. But go away and say, renew your works, God, in my time, in my day. Let your kingdom come in the earth, in this piece of earth that constitutes my body. Let your kingdom come. Make it your cry. Let's stand together, shall we? Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.